What up, son? It's the tale of the tapes. The fuck life. Saying. Tale of the tapes, season two, episode six. Today we have Master P and Jizza. So a couple of things that I want to say right away before we get into talking anything on either of these two guys, and this is just, uh, this is really nothing other than me just being brutally honest on here, which I, I try to be as much as I possibly can. Um, growing up, I didn't dislike Wu-Tang, but I wasn't into Wu-Tang the, the way that the rest of Staten Island was, okay? like. I grew up in Staten Island in the 90s, so again, there was no avoiding Wu-Tang, and I didn't dislike Wu-Tang. I had, um, I don't know if I, I don't think I had 36 Chambers when I was little. I obviously, you know, I fuck with that album now and shit, but I don't think I had it when I was little, but uh, Wu-Tang Forever I had and, and shit like that, so, I mean, it's just funny looking at it now because... We spoke last week about how this could possibly be the biggest disparity between two artists that we see in one episode. So it'll be funny to see who finishes where, but I used to probably listen to more Master P growing up. Now, I don't really listen to too, too much of either of these guys at all anymore, to be quite honest with you. I'm really speaking more about, you know, their their mid-90s, even, even maybe a little bit early to mid-90s and all the way to like late 90s stuff. Um, once I got into like high school and after high school, I really don't listen to either of these guys too, too much. But I just wanted to throw out how I do have a little bit of a history with each of these guys despite where they wind up finishing. So I don't want to give too, too much away. But like I said, I, I personally listened to more Master P growing up, which is especially odd considering that I'm from Staten Island. But... Both artists had their debut albums in 1991, so that makes this the first episode that we leave 1990. So we're now out of 1990 and we're into 1991. Master P is the first artist of 1991, so let's get into some information on Master P. Born Percy Robert Miller, April 29th, 1970, in New Orleans, Louisiana, United States. Also known as the Ice Cream Man and the Ghetto Bill. Years active are listed as 1989 to present, and his genres listed as hip-hop. Uh, Master P has had some stuff recently. I don't know how recently, but definitely within the last couple of years or so, Master P has definitely had some sort of material. Um, I don't remember particularly exactly what it was, but I, I know he's still been putting stuff out. So Let's get into a little bit of background on Master P. Percy Robert Miller, born April 29, 1967, also known by his stage name Master P, is an American rapper, actor, record producer, philanthropist, and former basketball player. He is the founder of the record label No Limit Records, which was relaunched as New No Limit Records through Universal Records and Koch Records, then again as Gutter Music Entertainment and currently No Limit Forever Records. He is the founder and CEO of P. Miller Enterprises and Better Black Television, which was a short-lived online television network. Miller initially gained fame in the mid-1990s with the success of his hip-hop music group TRU, as well as his fifth solo rap album Ice Cream Man, which contained his first single, Mr. Ice Cream Man. 
Miller gained further popularity in 1997 after the success of his platinum single, Make Him Say Uh. In total, Miller has gone on to release 15 studio albums. Aside from music, Miller has embarked on a career in acting, starring in films including I Got the Hookup, Soccer Mom, Gone in 60 Seconds, Toxic, and Foolish. Miller has worked in television, starring in the sitcom Romeo, alongside his son Romeo Miller from 2003 to 2006. Miller was signed to two separate NBA contracts in the late 1990s, playing for both the Charlotte Hornets and Toronto Raptors during the 1998 and 1999 preseason, respectively. Miller owns his own basketball league, Global Mixed Gender Basketball, or GMGB. So, first of all, I used to be obsessed with Make Him Say Uh. That was, you know, I would say all time. That was probably in my, like, top 25 favorite songs of all time. Um... A decent amount there for Master P, and I felt the need to leave some of those things in there because I felt it was important to note what a successful businessman and entrepreneur Master P is, as well as being a talented athlete, so the guy certainly had a lot going for him. Now, let's get into a little bit about what I wrote down when I was listening to Master P, and keep in mind that I really used to listen to a lot of Master P growing up. I was a, I was a very big fan of both Masterpiece music and Masterpiece movies when I was growing up. So I personally loved Master P growing up, and although he was talented in many areas of life, rapping was not one of them. Lyrically, he was well below average as his rhymes were extremely simplistic and had very little to do with each other or an overall purpose for the most part. The same rhymes were used over and over and very hardly were about anything of any substance. Very rarely did he have a good line, and he certainly had his fair share of bad ones, even though he took the easy way out a lot of times. He also seemed to have trouble with hooks, as 90% of them were only two bars repeated four times. For some reason, Master P had 14 albums, with only one being good at best and three being weak. He also unfortunately had 234 songs. Not only were none of them great, but only five of them were good and 46 of them were weak. As far as having an impact on the hip-hop game, although it wasn't as big as some, it was there. He coined a number of phrases, looks, and lifestyles still present today and had influences on artists such as Joel Ortiz, Snoop Dogg, Tupac, Dr. Dre, Method Man, Red Man, Jay-Z, Joe Budden, and AZ. As far as originality goes, Master P did his own thing in certain areas, but he took a lot from a lot of people and that hurt him in this department. Hell, he even had an entire CD that was all Tupac in every way possible from the title, to the cover, to the songs, to the delivery of certain lines. So, I know that breakdown of Master P sounds really rough right there, and it's funny because my cousin... You know, I grew up with the kid and he obviously knows me my whole life and he's been cracking up and he's like, I'm just waiting for you to fucking ream somebody, bro. And I told him, I said, that's that's not really what this is about, bro. I'm really not trying to ream anybody. And I've told you guys multiple times that even the guys that finish very low, they're in here for a reason. And that's part of the reason why I left a lot of that other stuff in there when we read a background on Master P, because I, again, I want to point out why Master P is in here. Master P has been very, very successful and stuff like that. But when it comes to these categories, let's break down the math. Lyrics, three. Albums, 2.72 with zero classics. So we talked about how he only had one album that was good 
and he had three weak albums, and then a, you know obviously a bunch of average ones. So not a great score there for the album score. Um, song score he gets a minus one point eight. And I believe we also just spoke recently about how if you're anywhere above that decimal place, that's a pretty decent number to be getting in that song category because most people are getting, you know, plus 0.09 or plus 0.02 or minus 0.07 and things like that. So usually the song score is a very low number. Um, especially for a lot of average and mediocre people or, or you get some zeros and things like that. But very high pluses and very high lows in this category is dramatic and it, it makes a statement. So not only is he above the decimal place here, but he's almost at two. So he's minus 1.8. So he's almost losing a full two points there just from songs. Impact, he gets a six. Now, again, it wasn't huge. But we did speak about how he did have a, a clear influence on a fair number of artists. And they're pretty decent names, the majority of those guys. And like I said, he also coined a number of phrases and looks and lifestyles and stuff like that. And a lot of that stuff is still very prominent in hip-hop today. So again, that's an area where I do want to give Master P his credit for sure. Right there when it comes to impact. Again, not huge, but I do want to give the guy his credit it was enough above average to uh, to warrant that six. And then originality, he gets a four and a half, which, like I said, it's not awful. You know, it's just below average. It's, it's not a, a one or a two, which we haven't really seen anybody get up until this point. But four and a half is lower than what most people get. And like I said, he did take a lot from a lot of other people. So that's obviously always going to give you a dent in this category. Now... If that's the only hiccup you have, maybe you get a nine or a nine and a half or something like that. You know, guys like MF Doom, ODB, people like this that, you know, really never took anything from anybody and their look, their sound, their rhyme style, their content, their their lingo, their, any possible thing that you can name about these people are super, super original and stuff like that. And then, you know, you have some things where it's just one little area where they had a hiccup and they're still going to get a great score in that in that department because there are so many other things that carried them to a high score in that department. Not the case here for Master P is there was more bad than good. He, you know, took a lot from other people before him. And on top of that, I mean, he made a whole entire album that it was it was just so odd, man. And and I don't I'm not trying to say this to be disrespectful because I don't know this for a fact, and maybe I should have looked into this a little bit more, but I mean, this is not what gave Master P a four and a half. It was a cumulative score, obviously. Maybe he gets a five if I really look deep into this and I, I do find out the meaning behind this or whatever, but he just had a whole album that, if I remember correctly, he was dressed like Tupac on, on the cover. It was, uh, you know, the, it was written in like a Tupac font and just... His, the way that he rapped on every song almost on the album was exactly like Tupac. And I think it was maybe called Only God Can Judge Me, which was a Tupac tattoo. And I think there was like a picture of Tupac's tattoo as the cover. I can't like totally remember off the top of my head, but it was just super, super strange. And again, I'm attributing that to being some sort of tribute, you know, paid to Tupac where it was this kind of tribute album or, or whatever the case was, but... It still was something that on top of a guy who was not super original with content or image and, you know, took a lot from a lot of people before him 
and had this whole album that was all, you know, the delivery and the cover and the wording and all this stuff that was all taken from another artist's style. I mean, these things just piled up and it didn't work out well and he gets a four and a half in originality at the end of the day. So you add all those numbers up and you divide by five and that gives you a final score of 2.88, which leaves Master P in 128th place of 129 artists done overall. So... Again, that's a really rough finish for Master P, and I just, it, you know, this is why I'm laughing, man. I'm laughing because, I'm not laughing at Master P, I'm laughing because of, of how much I used to fuck with Master P. It, it's, it's one of those things where, well, what about this fucking guy, bro? You listen to this fucking guy, this fucking guy's good? No, he's not, but I just like to listen to him. <laughs> so, it was just one of those things where... I got to take my hat off to Master P because the fact of the matter is, and I'm just, again, I'm just being honest, Master P is not a good rapper. So the fact that Master P was able to come out with, with 15 albums that I'm sure he made a good amount of money on and he owns these record labels and he owns sneaker companies and he, he owned toys and he played in the NBA and I mean, the list just goes on and on. There is nothing that this guy can't do. It doesn't even matter if he's good or not. He's going to do it anyway and he'll be successful at it. So again, I'm, I'm not laughing at Master P. I'm laughing with Master P. I was laughing all the way to the bank with Master P when I had my mom pay for his albums back in the 90s. I was going and buying these Master P albums when they had the the weird um the weird album covers like the or the weird the weird cases that the CDs were in. They weren't that clear hard plastic. They were like this colorful like softer type of plastic with it was just so weird. The cover didn't come out. It was it was stuck on the front. Um, so that was one thing that, you know, that and Master P coming up with, uh, you know, some of his own phrases and things like that. These were some of the things that carried Master P to a four and a half in originality. Those are some of the reasons why I didn't give Master P a two in originality and stuff like that. So again, man, shout out to Master P. Not a strong finish there. Rapping really was obviously not... Masterpiece number one forte. It might have brought him a lot of money, but the man was obviously very capable of being very successful in a lot of different areas. Rapping being one of them, I just wouldn't say that it was one of his most skillful or talented areas. So, now moving on to Jizza, who also had his debut solo album in 1991, and I hope I didn't give too much away by saying that there's a big disparity in this episode here, but I promise that there's a lot to look forward to right now when covering Jizza. So. Fasten your seatbelts right now. Birth name, Gary E. Grice, also known as The Genius. Born August 22nd, 1966 in New York City, New York, United States. Genres listed as hip-hop, years active listed as 1990 to present. I don't remember exactly what the last year was that Jizza came out with an album, but he hasn't been absent for too long, and uh, even Wu-Tang has come out with an album somewhat recently, so... Um, the active status definitely warranted with Jizza. Let's get into a little bit of a background on Jizza. Gary E. Grice, born August 22nd, 1966, better known by his stage names Jizza and the Genius, is an American rapper and songwriter. A founding member of the hip-hop group The Wu-Tang Clan, Jizza is the group's spiritual head, being both the oldest and the first in the group to receive a record deal. He has appeared on his fellow clan members' solo projects and has maintained a successful solo career. 
His lyrical style often dismisses typical rap storylines in favor of science and wide-ranging philosophies and has been characterized as armed with sharp metaphors and a smooth flow. An analysis of Jizz's lyrics found that he has the fourth largest vocabulary in popular hip-hop music. He teamed up with an education group to promote science education in New York City through hip-hop. So a good amount there for Jizza as well as I want to just point out that we are at a pretty big moment right now also in this podcast to, to where this is the first Wu-Tang member here. Now, some groups I'm doing as groups because they came into the game as groups. Now, I know these guys were friends and I, I know these guys were a group, but Jizza's solo album was out first. So we are going to cover them each individually going by the year that their solo albums dropped, but everybody in Wu-Tang made the cut and everybody from Wu-Tang will be covered and broken down and stuff like that. And I know that not only is Wu-Tang one of the most popular and influential and even original hip-hop groups in, you know, hip-hop groups of all time, but I grew up in Staten Island. And not only did I grow up in Staten Island, but I lived in in Park Hill for years. And I lived right on the corner where the Wu-Tang wall is for years. So this episode definitely hits close to home for me. And I know a lot of people that I grew up with are probably very excited for me to get into Wu-Tang. So again, I just want to point out that here we have our first Wu-Tang member of the study covered. Yay! And um, before I get too deep into our first Wu-Tang member covered... I, again, I, I spoke about this a little bit when I was starting the episode, but I, I again want to put it out there that I did not dislike Wu-Tang, but I was not really a Wu-Tang fan the way that most other Staten Island people were. I was not really a Wu-Tang fan the way that most of my friends were. And even to this day, I've just always had more of a respect and an appreciation for their movement and what they brought to the game. But I never was like a diehard, huge Wu-Tang fan. So I just want to again point that out before we get into this. Because when we see where the Wu-Tang people finished, I don't really want to hear any shit from anybody. So again, I'm not giving away too much. Everybody judges individuals here. But I just want to reiterate where I stand when I'm going into this. It's very bittersweet for me. I want these guys to finish very high because they're from Staten Island, but at the same time, I, I kind of don't because everybody's always told me how dope Wu-Tang was, and I'm like, ah, you know, yeah, Wu-Tang's all right, they're good. Um, so, you know, part of me wants to be like, I told you so. So I'm very torn covering these Wu-Tang members here. Now, back to what we just spoke about with Jizza's background. There's a good amount there for Jizza as well, similar to Master P in the sense that we're definitely dealing with more than just your typical rapper here but different in the reasons why. With Master P, we see athletic talent and major business and entrepreneurial success. And with Jizza, we see more of an intelligent and scientific approach. But both of those things are, are worthy of noting for sure. So let's get into what I wrote down about Jizza as I covered him. Obviously, I thought I knew a good amount of Jizza before doing his work. What I didn't realize was that Jizza was the only member of Wu-Tang who had a solo album out prior to 36 Chambers. The genius was certainly an earned alias for the Jizza as his storytelling was second to none. He was super impressive lyrically, especially in the second half of his career, and had his own style of rhyming and music in general to say the least. Between the five solo albums, the collaboration album with DJ Muggs, and the six Wu-Tang albums, the Jizza was a vital part of a great album, eight good ones, 
and only one that was borderline good slash average. Not only were his albums consistently good, but his songs were also, as none of his 113 songs were weak, six were great and another 17 were good. While I think it's mostly common knowledge that Jizza wasn't the most commercially successful artist from Wu-Tang, he was still an extremely important piece in the Wu-Tang Clan and had clear impacts on artists such as Will Smith, Jay-Z, Pharoah Manch, and Cormega, as well as Wu-Tang themselves and a few others. I personally felt that the genius was actually more impressive on his own as it gave him more freedom to run wild with super original creative songs such as Animal Planet, Fame, Queen's Gambit, Zero Percent Finance, and Cinema. There really wasn't much average about the Jizza at all, from his voice to his rhyme style to his incredible song topics and stories, he was a breath of fresh air. So, <laughs> again I'm laughing, I, I would like to right off the bat apologize and and admit defeat to all my Wu-Tang friends right now. Um, now, I didn't officially do this when I finished Jizza because I said, oh shit, all right, man, I guess guess Jizza was just a lot better than I thought he was or, or a lot better than I gave him credit for because like I said, I didn't think these guys weren't good or anything, but, you know, it just never really was, was my thing and I just never really understood people saying, these guys are so fucking dope, man. It was like something I constantly heard, which I think was part of the reason I was a little bit turned off by it because... I didn't get the same vibe when I listened to it that everybody was feeding me. So it started to like frustrate me a little bit. But again, I just want to admit defeat. Jizza, I ended my my breakdown off of Jizza by saying that Jizza was a breath of fresh air. I was pleasantly surprised by Jizza. I thoroughly enjoyed Jizza. Again, I spoke earlier. I don't really listen to Jizza very much even to this day. But I definitely will give Jizza his credit and his props because he was definitely a dope MC for sure and a super original dude. So let's get into the math of all that. Lyrics, he gets a seven and a half. Albums, he gets a 4.24 with zero classics. Songs, he gets a plus 0.53. So he's plus a half a point there. Um, no no weak songs for Jizza. Impact, he gets an eight. I mean, that's, that's pretty clear. That's pretty obvious. You obviously have to factor in every aspect of Jizza and, and how he's impacted the game. I mean, Wu-Tang Clan alone... I really don't have anything to say. I really don't really need to speak on that. Wu-Tang Clan's impact on the hip-hop game is second to none. I'm not saying that they're a 10. I'm not saying that there's nobody up there with them. I'm just saying that when you put people at the top, if you got a batch of people at the top, like Wu-Tang Clan is obviously one of them as far as, you know, impact and longevity and and really making a mark and, and carving their own lane in the hip-hop game. Like I said, second to none. And that was something that I always admired and, and had a respect for for Wu-Tang, even though I wasn't personally the biggest, biggest fan of their music. Now, again, he gets an 8 because as a solo artist, there, there were certain areas. You can't give him a 10 just because he's in Wu-Tang because there are certain areas where Jizza could have had more of an impact. He could have had a little bit more commercial success. He could have maybe had a handful or two of more you know, things that people took from him, whether it be beats or lines or sampled him and things like that. Now, these are not, not knocks on the guy. I'm just saying that his impact score is very high, but I'm pointing out why it's not a 9 or a 10. And originality, he gets a 9. So, again, I, I think that a big chunk of what I failed to realize when people kept telling me how dope Wu-Tang was, was... I was looking at really pretty much nothing other, at least back then, 
then my personal preference in music and, and my personal sound and what I enjoyed listening to and just lyrics. Now, Jizza gets a seven and a half. That's a great score. So I definitely slept on Jizza because if you would have asked me going into this, my guess on what Jizza's lyrical score would have been, I would have probably guessed like somewhere around a five and a half or a six. So I, I would have given him above average. I'm not trying to shit on these guys, but I did not realize that Jizza was really that dope with his words. So again, I want to give credit where it's due, but it must have either gone over my head or I didn't hear enough songs with jizza on it or whatever the case may be but again it's my bad it's my fuck up i apologize again to the to the big wu-tang fans especially my friends who i guess i don't know i don't know what the big deal is bro so I, i i know what the big deal is now um but what i was saying is i think that i failed to realize when i was younger that part of the reason probably that a lot of people are constantly saying that this group and these people are so dope is not really because of one particular thing. There might not be anybody in the group that's a nine lyrically, but a lot of the guys in the group, or probably, I'm not done with everybody from the group, but I would go out on a limb here to probably say that every guy in the group is at least average or better when it comes to impact and originality. And I think that I really wasn't taking that into consideration that you're getting everything with this group. You're getting you're getting good bars. You're getting good substance. You're getting good content. You're getting different perspectives and personalities and deliveries and voices. You're getting super originality. I mean, look at the things that this group samples. They sample fucking kung fu movies and shit like that. Nobody was really doing shit like this before Wu-Tang, bro. And, and not for nothing, but... Nobody was really repping Staten either. I mean, this group came out and basically just said, Staten Island, what's up? And just started fucking punching people in the face that didn't like it. I'm not even trying to sound stupid or funny. I'm just telling you the way that shit was. I grew up in Staten Island. I remember when the first Wu-Tang album came out. I remember what would happen if somebody said Wu-Tang sucks. You would get knocked in your fucking mouth. And this wasn't even by someone in Wu-Tang. These were just fucking fans. You couldn't you couldn't speak like that on Staten Island, so the movement was crazy, literally. And I'm not I'm not exaggerating. I'm not making this up. Anybody that lived in Staten Island in the mid '90s that was on the hip hop scene or into the hip hop scene in any type of way will vouch for what I'm saying. It didn't even matter what neighborhood you lived in. It could have been all the way down in in Tottenville in a very wealthy neighborhood. You still had all these kids and and all these high school people and all this shit. Everybody was bumping Wu Tang. And it was a movement, and you you know, you didn't fuck around with it. I, I spoke earlier about how I lived on the corner from the Wu-Tang wall. That wall has been spray-painted like that since the 90s. Nobody touches that fucking wall. Nobody touches that wall. Middle of the hood. Just a, a wall on the side of the fucking deli, spray-painted. You know, they got a couple of things. Can it can it be all so simple? And um, to all our fallen soldiers and all that, the wall never gets touched. That's respect, bro. So the movement that this group had is, like I said, it's second to none. So it was all there for Jizza, man. And, and to be quite honest with you, you know, different guys are finishing in different spots. And I'm not done with all of them. But I've been very, very impressed, to say the least, with every Wu-Tang member that I've covered so far. So it was pretty much all here for Jizza. So you add those five numbers up, you divide by five, and you get a final score of 5.85, which leaves Jizza in drum roll, please. Eighth 
place overall of 129 artists done. So huge shout out to Jizza, man. I got a smile on my face right now. And, and like I said, it's bittersweet for me, but I'm a man of my word. Listen, I, I talk shit, but I give credit where it's due. You know, if somebody earns something, I give it up to them. And uh, Wu-Tang was not really something that I talk shit about, but I just threw that in there because it is something I like to do. But hey, listen, when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Um, in this particular scenario, I was wrong. Jizza was definitely a lot better in... A lot of different areas than I thought he was, especially lyrically. So, um, shout out to Jizza. But I do want to point out that what that also means is that we will have our first song breakdown of the 90s as Jizza has finished inside the top 10 overall so far. Yay! Now, again, I don't know that he stays here. We got a lot of artists left to go. So, Jizza might not stay in the top 10. That's not what I'm saying, but he's in the top 10 right now out of artists covered so far. So, let's go to Jizz's list. Let's hit random. And this is Jizza Silent featuring Ghostface Killer and Street Life. Now, honestly, normally, I really usually wouldn't even let a track like this play because there's two other people featured on here, which means we're, we're probably only getting one verse from Jizza. But... Ghostface and Street Life both made the cut. So going forward, if people are featured in the song and they're not people that made the cut, I'm probably going to just hit next and go to whatever random song comes up next. But if it's people that made the cut, then I certainly have no problem breaking down the lyrics. Even if it's, you know, it's outnumbered. If more people in the song make the cut than not, then uh, I have no problem doing the song breakdown. But you know, if there's three, four guys in the song and two or three of those guys didn't make the cut, we're going to skip to the next song. I'm not going to sit here and break down somebody's lyrics that didn't even make the cut. So anyway, with that out of the way, here's Jizza featuring Ghostface and Street Life, Silent. So let me jump in here. Ghostface is on the first verse and he says, I got rid of the grays, took my hat off and the crowd went crazy. Bitches threw their panties, the sound man was fanning me. Now, the first bar and the second bar don't really rhyme with each other. It's grays and crazy, which is not really a rhyme. And then bitches threw their panties, the sound man was fanning me, the whole place was standing G. Now there's nothing wrong with those bars, but... Again, in the beginning, there's no real rhyme on the first two bars. And then it seems like he goes into... He's painting a picture here with what he's saying. I mean, you could you could see what he's saying. The whole place was standing G. What they chant, we was family, jumped in the crowd, and I swam to see. Which is a pretty cool line because, you know, you talk about, like, crowd surfing. So, he, again, he's painting a picture. 
Took his hat off. The crowd went crazy. Bitches throwing their panties on him. The sound man is fanning him because he's on fire. The whole place was standing. They're chanting, we're family. He jumps in the crowd and goes sea surfing. I swam to sea. Um, then he says, threw me to the back. Surprise, I still had my chains on me. Dana Dame, front row bitches. I bang all three. So again, nothing too crazy about these lines right here, but he's just still continuing on painting a picture of what he's saying. He's crowd surfing. He gets back. He's surprised he's still got all his chains on, yada, yada. Say, yo, math, fuck it. Throw on Jim Broski. Versace, banana color robes, and, and my socks beat. Then Billy Jean shits, and they real rocky. So again, that's one of those scenarios where... You're getting like the you're getting decent lines like Ghostface is kind of all over the place here. You got something that doesn't rhyme in the beginning, but you do have him painting a clear picture. He's got a couple of decent lines. He's got a couple of run-on bars here, things like that. So again, a little bit all over the place with the with the first verse here from Ghostface. The fans can't knock me. My bitch Coliseum's watching you spot me. Plus I'm cocky. Didn't realize there was only two bars there left in, in Ghostface's, the end of his verse or whatever. But uh, a good last two bars, I mean, he says, The fans can't knock me. I bench Coliseums while Genius spot me. Plus, I'm cocky. So, again, there was a couple of points in that verse where, like I said, run on bars, something didn't rhyme. Maybe a flow was a little bit off, but definitely some dope lines, which, to be quite honest, I haven't completely covered Ghostface yet. I'm not done with Ghostface yet. I've gone through the Wu-Tang stuff and things like that, but I see a lot of this from Ghostface, and I see a lot of this from... I don't want to say all Wu-Tang members, but I see a lot of this from a lot of Wu-Tang members where they do have this dope abstract style, and they do say these dope lines and, and things like that, but they do also have these times where they... They kind of get off track or they, they lose their flow or I don't know how to explain it, but you, you can hear it right there in that verse. You can hear what I'm talking about. And then this next verse is followed up right here. This is where Street Life jumps in on the second verse here. So let's check that out. Hands I took off the hoodie, revealed the face. Cop patrol couldn't control the place. I got groupies backstage lined up at the gate. The signs up yelling, we love your tape. I'm sorry I took so long. Didn't mean to make y'all wait. But good things take time to create. So he comes in pretty strong right here. He says, once I took off the hoodie, revealed the face. Cop patrol couldn't control the place. So that's one of those instances where he has an A, B, B, A rhyme style again right there with once I took off the hoodie, revealed the face, A, cop patrol, B, couldn't control, B, the police. So he, you could tell that he's continuing off here with the same type of thing that Ghostface is talking about. They're talking about some sort of show or concert or whatever that they're doing and He's, you know, Ghostface started off with throwing his hat or whatever, or, he, or uh, he took off the hat and the crowd went crazy, and now here Street Life is coming in saying, took off the hoodie, revealed the police, cop patrol couldn't control the place, like the crowd was so out of control and shit. I got groupies backstage lined up at the gate, the signs up yelling, we love your tape. So again, just continuing on painting that picture of they're doing a show, everybody's walling out, they're groupies backstage, they got signs up, we love your tape, yada yada. And then he says, I'm sorry I took so long, I didn't mean to make y'all wait, but good things take time to create. So 
there's nothing too crazy in any of these lines. There's no real like crazy lines or anything like that. But again, he's painting a picture. He's telling a story. This all fits the narrative of what's gone into the song so far. And all these guys are really good at painting vivid pictures. You can see what they're talking about if you're paying attention to what they're saying. And you do have them come in with the ABBA rhyme pattern in the beginning. So, you know, so far, probably a little bit more good than bad on this song. There has been a little bit of both, but I would say probably a little bit more good than bad. And then uh, let's see how Street Life finishes off his verse and then we'll get into Jizz's. You can find me in your studio, half bait, eating ganja cake, trying to make my next release date. Ghost Street, Jizz a great minds relate. You know what brother bond is hard to break. When we perform, we cause the earth to shake. Ain't nothing changes. Still those same niggas you love to hate. Jizz Okay, so more of the same here. He goes on to say, he coming off of, you know, I'm sorry I took so long and didn't mean to make y'all wait, but good things take time to create, which is a decent line. It's nothing amazing, but I get what he's saying. Um, you know, I'm sorry for making you wait so long in between albums or whatever the case is, but I'm dope and good things take time to create. He goes on to, you could find me in your studio, half-baked, eating ganja cake, trying to make my next release date. So again... You know, just one syllable on the rhyme and stuff like that here. Nothing too crazy, but still fitting the narrative of the song. Still making sense with everything he's saying here. He's obviously, they're explaining the show. He's explaining his mind frame and all that type of shit. And he goes in to say, with ghost street jizzer, great minds relate. You know a brother bond is hard to break. When we perform, we cause the earth to shake. And nothing change. It's still the same niggas you love to hate. So again, nothing too complicated. He comes in with the ABBA rhyme pattern and he goes out with the ABBA rhyme pattern because he has shake is A, change is B, same is B, and then hate goes back to A. So again, we got the ABBA rhyme pattern there. Definitely more good than bad for sure on Street Life's verse. Ghostface was a little bit of give and take. Street Life definitely more good than bad for sure, but still nothing too crazy. Good verse. Um, and then that leads into the third verse, which is by Jizza. And uh, I'm confident that you're going to see why Jizza finished where he finished right here. I set examples over amplified samples that's scratched in the club. With dogs begin to trample on those who fell victims. Body lost their souls. These beats when I picked them. Drums played the role. So Jizza obviously comes in swinging here. He says, I set examples over amplified samples. That's scratched in the club, ducks begin to trample. So you got a whole bunch of a whole bunch of syllables there. I mean, again, it's nothing insane. You know, he's just saying amplified samples, uh, you know, whatever, ducks begin to trample. So it's nothing too ridiculous. It's not the greatest bars I ever heard Jizza spit, but you can already see when he comes in right away, he sets the tone with the with the wordplay and the syllables. I said examples over amplified samples that scratched in the club. Ducks begin to trample. Then he goes on to say, on those who fell victim, body lost their souls. These beats, when I picked them, Jones played the role. So then we have that A, B, A, B rhyme pattern there, which is a little bit different than A, B, B, A. Still, still difficult to do. I mean, it, you're still going, you, you're either rhyming the two words in between your rhyme or you're rhyming a word and saying something different than rhyming the, the first word and then rhyming the second word. So 
Either way, you're, you're getting that back and forth. You're, you're switching up the rhyme pattern from just an AA to a BB to a CC. Now, he's doing things where he's got, you know, already in the first four bars, he's got the multiple syllables. He's got cool wordplay. He's got the ABAB rhyme pattern. And he's got victim and victim on the A's there and souls and roll on the B's. So... Another six syllables rhymed, so 12 syllables rhymed on the four bars there. Um, Jizza definitely comes in and does a good job and is continuing to raise this song score a little bit. Soldiers brave and bold, Rizza paid the roll, Jizza buried the scrolls. Then months later it was, then years later it was written on loose leaf, an old formula that was stolen by new thieves. The journalists watched it, critics couldn't knock it. A piece of history that they carried in their pocket with the time factor. Speed was the order of the day, with a delay. They were able to, what he was saying, why waste the slot time with a ridiculous rhyme that's only excused by a generous mind. I kept them stored in the shelters like the goods and cans. Until I turned rat fields into harvested land So that, that picks up off of when he said, on those who fell victim, body lost their souls. These beats, when I picked them, Jones played the role. Soldiers brave and bold, Rizza paved the road. So already again, right as he comes in, he left off with Jones played the role. He picks right back up with soldiers brave and bold, Rizza paved the road. So already again, right away, he, he's doing great with the syllables. He goes into Jizza buried the scrolls. Then months later, it was, then years later, it was written on loose leaf, that old formula that was stolen by new thieves. The journalists watched it. Critics couldn't knock it. A piece of history that they carried in their pocket. So you could kind of see how this is where Jizz's like originality and stuff comes in also. He came in, you know, I set examples over amplified samples, stuff like that. And then he goes into the played the role, brave and bold, paved the road, all that. But you can also see how some of his impactful lines that he says are not as black and white as a lot of other people's punchlines. To where Jizzle will say something, it was written on loose leaf. That old formula that was stolen by new thieves. So it's again, it's nothing mind blowing, but it's a dope little subtle line there where he uses his own artistry and his own originality to make points in his own little artistic way. He goes on to say the journalists watched it. Critics couldn't knock it. A piece of history that they carried in their pocket. Again, another thing where he's throwing his little twist, his little artistry, his little originality onto it. So again, it's a cool little subtle way where he kind of takes something that's intangible, like a piece of history. It's not really a piece of history. You know, history, you can write it down and all, whatever you want to do with it, you can tell it word of mouth, but it's a memory. It's something that people remember or something that people were told. It's not really something that you carry. It's an intangible thing. And he turns it into a tangible thing by saying they took a piece of history and carried it in their pocket. So again, just a dope little artistic, subtle little way of him making cool points in a not-so-average way. So then he finishes off the song by saying, With the time factor, speed was the order of the day. 
with the delay they were able to what he would say. Why waste the slot time with the ridiculous rhyme that's only excused by a generous mind? I kept them stored in the shelters like the goods in cans till I turned rap fields into harvested lands. Now, again, this is one of those things where there's nothing too crazy here. There's no there's no examples of like 8 or 10 or 12 syllables rhymed in two bars. There's no crazy um, rhyme schemes or anything like that. There's really no like standout punchlines or anything like that. But the reason that I read all six of those bars together and didn't stop and break any of it down yet is because they're all cohesive. And Jizz is kind of speaking in like a code here. Now, I'm not Jizz, so I cannot sit here and tell you 100% all the time, every time on every bar what every single line means and decipher it for you. Obviously, only the artist that wrote that can do that. When we get up to me and we're breaking my rhymes down, I'll be able to do that for you. I can only obviously give you my interpretation of things. Now, a lot of people would turn around and say, well, if you're interpreting things wrong, then that's going to change your scoring. But no, it's really not. because and, and if it did, it would be by such a slight, slight margin that it wouldn't translate into any of the people moving any slots anywhere. So what I mean by this is that when somebody's using metaphors to explain things and they're kind of speaking abstractly in this particular manner here, you have to go by what you're given, what you take of it, and, and mix all these things together. Now, if there was crazy syllables in here or crazy rhyme patterns or crazy, you know, uh, punchlines every bar or two, then obviously those would be black and white things that would stand out. But... What I'm trying to say to you is that you can see in the six bars that he's metaphorically speaking. I kind of take it, coming from somebody who's made music, what I take of it is he's basically talking about creating the music. You know, you pay for studio time when you're there. A lot of people try to maybe rush through their sessions to save money or whatever the case may be. There's an effect on things called delay. He's talking about the time factor. Speed was the order of day with the delay. Um, why waste the slot time with a ridiculous rhyme? All these things that he's saying. And he's saying, I kept them stored in the shelters like goods in the cans. Now... He's comparing it to something, but that's really not like a great line. Like that's not a line. There's nothing wrong with it, but that's not a line that would really gain you points by itself. It's more kind of just making a comparison really than, than having like a punchline. Um, and then he says, till I turn rap fields into harvested lands, which is a pretty dope line in itself, but it, they all string together. They all tie together. And it, it, to me, it's talking about creating the music and, some people's approach to it versus other people's approach to it um, versus a third party experience of who's mixing it or who's collecting the money for it versus maybe the way that he used to treat his music or look at his music versus the way that he does now where he's saying I turned rap fields into harvested lands. So it's one of those things where he's metaphorically speaking and it's not anything mind-blowing to where it's going to raise the song up a point or, or a half a point or anything like that. But overall, Jizz's verse was definitely a solid verse. And just touching back on what I said about me interpreting those bars. Now, if I'm totally wrong with what that means, let me explain why it doesn't really matter. Because... I'm taking it as a metaphor anyway. So 
whatever that metaphor may be, it may be something I relate to. It may be what I took of it because of my experience with going to studios and things like that and creating music and all these types of things. And I could be totally off. But the fact of the matter is that I still acknowledged what he was doing. And whether he's trying to make a different point or I am interpreting the point that he's trying to make correctly, what's understood is that he's speaking metaphorically and he's making a point. Now, if the point that he's making is more mind-blowing than what I'm taking it as, and it's, yo, you didn't even get that, that went over your head, you still have to understand that that's only six bars of the entire song. There's the whole other portion of Jizz's verse, and there's also two other separate people on the song that obviously factor into the song scoring. So the point of me saying that is that, again, you're looking at a quarter of a point, possibly a half a point at most, if I really did miss something absolutely mind-blowing. Now, when you think about it, at the end of the day, if it's a quarter of a point or a half a point and you add that on there, okay, now what? So you're talking about maybe... Maybe one song got a two instead of a one. Maybe not even, because maybe it was already rounded up to a two. But regardless, you give them one extra good song, or whatever it may be. That probably isn't going to change even his song score at all. And if it does, it's certainly not going to change his overall score. You're talking about how many songs Jizza had, over 100 songs. You're talking about one song score being changed. And then you're talking about on top of that, that being factored into five or six other numbers that are coming out to a number with three decimal places. There's just no way that something like that is ever going to wind up changing somebody's score. So if there is something that I missed, if somebody can elaborate on that, cool. I appreciate people bringing things to light. I'm sure I have plenty of things that I could bring to the table about what certain artists are talking about, and I'm sure other people have things that they could bring to the table for me. I'm not an expert on every person. I am studying these people as I go. Some of them I'm big fans of. Some of them I know nothing of, but I'm reporting in black and white what I'm getting from these people. So, like I said, it wouldn't really change the scoring or anything like that at all. Overall, with the scoring of that song, that song gets between a one and a two. It was around a one and a half. There was a little give or take in the first verse by Ghostface. Some points added on to the scoring in the second verse during Street Life's verse. He had, he had a pretty good verse. And then Jizza had the best verse and, and raised the song score probably the most out of everybody in the song. But it really didn't make it like past a one and a half or so. Now... This is kind of the same thing that I say every other song breakdown, but we haven't had a song breakdown this entire season. I know it's only been, you know, six episodes or whatever, but still, that's six weeks with no song breakdowns, plus we had the break from last June, so I mean, it's been, you know, seven or so months, seven and a half months, whatever it's been, without me talking about a song breakdown, so I'll get into that again a little bit by saying that all these things are kept track of. When you just listen to one song by itself right now, just point blank here, listen to this and judge it, it's a little bit more difficult to sit down and give somebody a totally, totally accurate score, you know, to the exact decimal place or whatever like that. I'm rounding here. I'm kind of listening with you and running back through it and kind of just explaining some of the really good things and the really bad things and, and things like that. But when you when you score on a song, everything is taken into consideration the popularity and the success of the song, the lyrics of the song, is there a story in the song, is the song about a particular topic, is that topic held throughout the song, is it is it deep, is it meaningful, 
just so many, so many things that go into the song. Now, you could have a scenario where somebody can't make a hook. And every hook that they say is just one line repeated or two bars repeated over and over again. That may be something that somebody starts progressively losing points for. So that's just one example of how sitting down and breaking down one song by itself, it's a little bit more difficult to get a pinpoint number on there. But I would be okay with anybody calling this song an average song or a good song. You know, with nothing coming prior to it right now and nothing coming post right now after the song, you have to just call it the way that it is for that time being. And it was right in between a one and a two. So call it what you want for the day. But that's where that song fell today when we listened to it. Now, listening to it in succession with all of other Jizza songs, it might have gotten a two because Jizza was more on the, on the good end. So just guessing it probably was scored a two when I did it. If that was somebody else who the majority of the time is pretty bad and they had a song like that, it might have gotten rounded down to a one depending on all the, the things that had led up to that song prior and, and you know the example like I used before of not being able to, to make a complex hook or anything like that. So all those things are taken into consideration when scoring a song, but I like to do this just to break down some bars. A um, couple of people have told me they like it and I'm sitting here doing it every day anyway, you know, 10, 20, 30 times a day with songs and stuff like that. So I don't mind doing some song breakdowns, especially for the top guys and things like that. But uh, like I said, it's not going to happen every week, but I'm glad that we were able to get one in here today. And, um, you know, let's get into our current list with all that said. So obviously, as usual, we're doing the top 15% for the rest of the 90s. Now, the number of people in this list doesn't change today, but we do have a new addition. So in our top spot in 7th place of 129 artists done, we have KRS-One. Right behind him in 8th place, we have Jizza. Directly behind him in 9th place, we have Slick Rick. Directly behind him in 10th place, we have Rakim. Now, you could start to see how you were seeing a lot of gaps before. Even even just last week, we had, you know, in the top slot, KRS-One, who was in 7th place of 128 artists done. Now he's in 7th place of 129 artists done. And the person we had right behind him was Slick Rick, who was in ninth place. Now we have KRS-One, who was in 7th, Jizza, who's in 8th, Slick Rick, who's in ninth, and Rakim, who's in 10th. So we weren't up to Jizza yet, so you can see why KRS-One was in the top spot in 7th, and then Slick Rick was right behind him in 9th, because we weren't up to Jizza yet. So you're starting to see all these little spaces that have been being skipped over in the past are starting to fill in now. So after Rakim, we have Rev Run of Run DMC, who's in 13th place of 129 artists done. Directly behind him in 14th is LL Cool J, and directly behind him in 15th is Everlast. Couple slots back in 17th place, we have Will Smith. And then in a tie for 20th place behind him, we have DMC of Run DMC and Ice Cube. In our last and final slot, we have Big Daddy Kane, who is in 23rd place of 129 artists done overall. So... Slick Rick finally gets bumped out of our second place slot of artists covered in the podcast so far. And another 90s rapper finally makes his way in. 
Slick Rick has been up there for a long time. I think he's another one that had his debut in 1986. And we spoke last week about Big Daddy Kane, who slid his way back into the last spot. And I believe he came out in like 86 or 87, somewhere around there. So same thing for Slick Rick. But we had Slick Rick hanging out to that second place slot for a long time there. So he finally gets bumped out of that. We finally add another 90s guy in there, which... That's only the second 90s guy that we have in there so far. So, I mean, we're, you know, we've covered probably about 12 90s artists so far. We're on episode six. So, I believe we've probably covered, you know, 12 more artists. And only two out of those 12 have cracked our top 15%, which is, quite frankly, probably not what most people expected when they were looking forward to doing the 90s. But,. I gotta let the chips fall as they may. Right now, the 80s dudes are dominating. Granted, there's been more of them in general than we've covered in the 90s, but 80s dudes, but 80s artists really hanging on to everything right now, man. But obviously, shout out to everybody that's in that top 15%. Still holding on to a solid spot in the middle of the golden era of hip-hop. Let's move on to our current top 10% lyrically, and we also obviously have a major addition here as well. So now, tied for our number one spot lyrically, we have Master Ace and Jizza, who both got scores of seven and a half lyrically. Behind them, tied for third place lyrically, we have KRS-One and Lord Finesse, who both got scores of seven. And then in a four-way tie for fifth place behind them, we have Will Smith, Rakim, Cool G Rap, and Everlast. A lot of these guys, especially Will Smith, Rakim, and Cool G Rap, they've been up there for a long time. KRS-One as well. We have Master Ace, Jizza, and Lord Finesse. Now, what's kind of ironic about this is we only named eight people in our lyrical list. And out of eight people, we have three 90s rappers. So almost about 50% of our top lyrical people have come from the 90s, even though... We've only covered 12 90s artists as opposed to like 55, I think it was, 80s artists. But when you go to the other list of your top 15% overall, you're getting 11 guys as opposed to 8. And out of those 11, you only have two 90s artists. So we can definitely see a pattern here of how the 90s artists definitely seem to, in general, be better lyrically than the 80s artists, but for whatever the reason may be, whether it's impact, originality, songs, albums, whatever it comes down to, the 80s artists are finishing higher overall than the 90s artists. So there's kind of an interesting dynamic there. We'll see how that goes on as the rest of the season and the rest of the, you know, the whole podcast goes on. We'll see how all of that plays out. But, uh, Obviously, again, man, big shout out to everybody that's in that top 10% lyrically. I deem that to be a very important category, so I really have a lot of respect for guys that finish really high in that lyrical category. Now, let's get back into some of our newer lists that we added last week, starting with our top five MCs to make their debut in the 1980s. In your number one spot, we have KRS-One, number two, Slick Rick, number three, Rakim, number four, Revron, and number five, LL Cool J. So again, to run that back, your top five artists to make their debut in the 1980s are KRS-One, Slick Rick, Rakim, Revron, and LL Cool J. Big shout out to those legends for sure, obviously. 
That list, like I said, should stay the same for the most part throughout the podcast. But I do want to bring to light a little bit how recently there have been some changes made to some 80s artists. And that's due, again, like I said, all these numbers are always subject to change. But some of the reasons that things have been changing is not necessarily anything that they've been putting out. But more so, more time being covered and not any more of an impact being added or, you know, that's just one example. It's just as things go on, you start to see maybe somebody takes it to another level and you say, ah, you know what? That guy's impact was not really as high as it seemed. When we were just in the 80s, it was very, very high. But now we've we've gone through a whole nother decade or a whole nother two decades and I'm seeing people totally surpass him in that particular area. So maybe they lose just a half a point or something like that. Um, but like I said, that's just one example. But things like this do happen. The things do change a little bit. So it can happen. Those names can change. They may change. They may not. Getting into the top five 90s list. Now this list definitely changes today as we have a new number one. So in our number one spot, top artists of the 90s so far, we have Jizza. Number two, Everlast. Tied for third, we have Lord Finesse and Master Ace. And in our fifth and final spot, Q-Tip. So a new guy in the top spot and K-Solo gets slid out of the last spot. Now, like I said, this list should change Certainly not every week, but relatively often. Like I said, we're, we've covered about 12 guys or so in the 90s. Um, we're seeing guys already. I mean, K-Solo was, what, two two episodes ago, and he's already out. Again, not trying to shit on him. This is a top five list. This is a very, very small list. But we have other lists, and that's why I'm trying to keep the list relatively small to a certain extent. But I'm just trying to make a point that... You know, in two weeks, we're seeing people not even be mentioned on the list anymore at all. So expect this one to change relatively often. If you'd like to see any of the lists in full, you can give the Facebook website a visit at www.facebook.com slash tale of the tapes podcast. And you can give the host website a visit at www.anchor.fm slash tale of the tapes. Both of those links are spelled completely normally on my host site on the anchor profile. There used to be a button, I believe it said donate, and I think that they've changed it now to say support. So I just don't want to confuse anybody. I don't want to say go hit the donate button and there is no donate button. Um, I believe it used to say donate. I believe it says support now. So if you would like to support your boy Formsy, please go right ahead. I will not stop you. (laughs) That does it for this week's episode of Tale of the Tapes, man. I'm glad we got that song breakdown. We got... You know, a new guy that finished super, super high, both lyrically and overall. So a lot of cool things in this episode right here. Next week, we have E-40 and MF Doom. Now, neither of these guys are like the most famous guys in the world, but E-40 was definitely big in his area. And MF Doom had a legendary underground following. So it'll be interesting to see how these two fare off. I'll catch you next week. Tale of the tapes. Peace. Tell of the tapes. Might as well. <laughs>